0: Welcome to CISO interviews, where Affinia hosts cybersecurity executives sharing career advice, actionable insights, and tips so that you can enhance your career and succeed as well.
1: Bob, thank you so much for joining us today. As we begin, can you say a couple words uh, about your current role and uh, what what functions are reporting to you?
2: Sure. Um, I my current role I'm the CIO CISO at a uh, very large or I guess I'm one of the larger uh, software companies for K through 12 software. Mm-hmm. Uh, so under under me, I have uh, the other companies about 2,500 people, large US presence, global presence too. Uh, under me, I have all the responsibilities from security, also uh, IT operations, telecommunications, and user computing, uh, and like en- enterprise applications. So uh, it's kind of a combined role um, with uh, you know, it's a chief information and security officer, so it's kind of the CIO and
1: and CISO role. Got it, got it. Um, how big is the team? I mean, twenty five hundred yeah. people. Your team must be because you're kind of straddling both IT yeah. and security world. Must be pretty sizable. But we're making a
2: couple of other personnel adjustments. So by the by the end of the year, by the end of uh, I'd say it's October, we'll probably have close to a hundred. Oh, wow. Um, so maybe like 90, 100 um, folks when everything settles out. But uh, yeah, pretty, it has a lot of, that'll also have responsibility for hosting our software to some of the, the uh, like hosting operations, cloud operations for the software.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Uh, so that paints the picture of uh, the point in the career trajectory. But uh, how did you get into technology and cybersecurity? What was the starting point?
2: Uh, kind of by accident uh so i i did rotc when i was in college because mm-hmm. uh, I, I didn't really know what i wanted to do but i thought the, so i thought the military would be a good <laughs> way to do that to get kind of free college go to college for something i wanted to learn about uh and you know have a have a direction there so i i, I ended up studying physics because i just happened to like physics uh and then when i got into the military i got placed into military intelligence Interesting, um, and it you know it's possible they kind of moved me there because of my degree. I it could be just luck. I don't I don't really know. Um, but I ended up getting into kind of the the technical side of military intelligence for the army, uh, the U.S. Army. It was like signals intelligence, so mm-hmm. learning, learning about communications, um, things things like that, and it was very aligned to physics. So that kind of led me into. Um, learning about telecommunications and things like that. And eventually cyber, uh, cyber. And and I was kind of on the front edge of some of the cyber stuff that the military was doing. And then eventually went to work at the NSA.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, so that was like, uh, the part, our army, the army part of the NSA at first, and then actual NSA employee. And I actually worked in some of the kind of what we consider like offensive cyber things. So I kind of started on the offensive side and then i when i got out i converted it to doing protection working in the the security side on uh, you know for private companies
1: i i understand i understand it's an amazing story it's uh, it's really it's really interesting you have uh, exposure to so many different aspects of technology and cybersecurity. i think it gives you a very unique perspective uh and from kind of that vantage point what would be your advice for some of the Maybe junior professionals trying to figure out, is it technology, is it cyber, is it both? Um, trying to make this transition or maybe kind of even more upstream of that. They're still in college, as you mentioned, trying to figure out what they want to be when they grow up. Yeah. We'll be. It's it's always, there's so many different things you can be doing at a given point in time, uh, whether it's certifications, networking, uh, with your peers, finding a mentor. There are so many different things you can be devoting yeah. your energy, but I think it's time is everyone's critical resource and what would be your advice? What are the two, three things they should spend time on to, to set them up for success in their career?
2: Yeah, it's, it's a very, very good question. Um, and actually, if you want to read a little bit about my path to cybersecurity, there's was a, a little bit of a, a couple chapters of a book where I, I it was a while ago, over 10 years ago now. I I interviewed with uh, this guy, the author Shane Harris, and the name of the book is At War, with a little at sign. Uh (laughs) Really? Uh, Yeah, he kind of wrote about the uh, story of Iraq and Afghanistan, the war on terror, how that became kind of a technical war, you know, with with some of the things we're doing in intelligence. And uh, he interviewed me for the book, and he kind of uses me in the first few chapters to talk about how people got into the space got into the field in mm-hmm. cyber so um yeah it's just it's a little bit in there but it's an um, overall very good book to just talk about that you know path if you want to bit but kind of leads me to my point is my probably the biggest piece of advice I would give people is early in your career try to actually do government service <laughs> interesting um, yeah I think here's why because I think you get afforded so much ability to do training. You you go into either you know, it doesn't have to be the military. I bias. I like the military. I, I had a great time there. I think I learned a lot. But you could go into the NSA. You could go to Department of Homeland Security. Any agency, even if it's a state or city agency in in your in your town that has cybersecurity. There's a big demand for that. um You're going to get paid less money certainly than if you were to go directly into you know work for a big company but you get that training it's so valuable and the and it's usually it's for free right <laughs> and i i the first i don't know two years of my military career i did nothing but training i did i took every course i possibly could i i took um you know, ethical hacking courses forensics courses um you know i was an officer so kind of like a, a manager if you will mm-hmm. so i wasn't necessarily going to be hands on the keyboard doing a lot of this stuff but i wanted to learn about it i wanted to understand what my people were doing and i you know i took two years of training now in the private sector you you show up and i'm in you know private sector CIO so now i want to hire somebody i don't have time to train them i want them to be ready to work i don't have money i don't have budget to train them either so i need you to be showing up ready to work and you, you don't get that, you know. And this is even an early career person too, you know. And I've I've tried to do some uh, like leadership development programs within my team, but it pales in comparison to what the military has. So they 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 have that training, and it gives you a sense of leadership. Um, there's a lot of opportunities to lead. When I was a lieutenant at 22 years old, I was leading a platoon of you know 20 plus people in Iraq. Like it was a technical role. We were doing, you know, intelligence collection and things like that, but you don't get that opportunity anywhere else. So even if you can do that for three, four, five years early in your career where, you know, the comparison of salary is not gonna be that much at that point. You know, you may make 40 percent more than if you were to go in the private sector, but at that level, it's not as big of a difference. It's it's hard to go into later on, right? It's hard it's hard mm-hmm. if you're at a job making You know, a CIO, CISO salary or director salary, than to say, I'm going to take a pretty big pay cut and and jump back in. Very few, it's very hard to go the other way. And then you're also like later career, you're not exposed to those opportunities as much. But I I think that's just such a valuable thing. People uh, don't realize that that's an option out there.
0: This episode is brought to you by Athenia, a community where 2,000 CISOs and other senior executives network, learn, and succeed together. To apply for your complimentary membership, please visit www.afinia.com or click the link in the show notes. Now, back to the show.
1: That's a very interesting uh, observation because I think, as, as you said, especially if you're early on, you you, uh, you can take risks. You, you can take a quote-unquote pay cut. I mean, it just, uh, yeah. maybe there's a bigger opportunity in the private sector. You may, but- you may not be married.
2: You may not have kids. You know, exactly exactly you, like, you have uh, a lot of you have ability to do that you know you can move anywhere you want you can travel i i, I traveled a lot when i was in the military or i was deployed in, in the army for a long time uh you know and that's not as i didn't have kids at the time uh you know i was married at the time but it was less impactful for me
1: for sure no it's it's certainly a travel around the world when you're 20 and <laughs> without a worry in, in, in your heart it's, it's a lot easier when you have a family and kids and house and mortgage and whatnot. So yeah. it sort of makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um just kind of switching gears a little bit. It's uh and you've been you've been in the industry for for some time. It's like one thing that's for me it's always fascinating. It's ever changing, ever evolving. There are new players, new vendors, new uh exploits, new attack vectors, new technology that's being for good or evil. It's like it's always there's always this cat uh, cat and mouse chase uh it, it's never there's never a dull moment uh what's interesting is that as the industry matures as as the industry evolves the the nature of threats evolves as well i i mean i go to black hat i go to rsa yeah. i go to other events and i find it funny when some sometimes vendors I mean to put this teenager in a hoodie hunched over a computer i got uh, it. That try, try trying to hack into things it's those days are for the most part kind of long gone. I mean, uh, you're dealing with well-resourced, yeah. sophisticated, uh, teams with segregation of duties with HR departments and profit sharing and yeah. their are you know, vacation policies. And, and I mean, you see, you see dumps right? you know, those, uh, APTs there when, when they're feuding they, they dox each other and you see yeah. some yeah. in their workings. It, it's, incredible how it's basically enterprise scale it is yeah um so it kind of gives you the idea of the nature of the threats and, and so it's always uh kind of the kind of different themes they are playing out i mean it's, whether it's cloud security or identity and access management i know in in your in your view what are the top three themes right now that are kind of the most prevalent uh i don't threat vectors uh from your perspective given, given the current landscape and the follow-up question to that would be yeah. what do you think it, it will be what will be top of mind i mean what will be on the uh, um headlines on our saying black hat you know, 12 months from now maybe in uh 24 months from now
2: yeah um i think probably the the from a threat perspective what what is concerning uh, you, you know, these more professional teams that are still doing ransomware attacks, and and I kind of use ransomware pretty broadly, right? So they're they're it, it, most ransomware attacks, I guess, are not there's no ransom, there's no malware anymore, right? There's no ransomware. It's more like extortion attacks. Like you look at what happened at MGM recently and how they bypassed security with the help desk. And they were able to get an account, get in and that you know, pure social engineering. And they got, security at, at the casinos, they take that very seriously. Uh, it's not a joke there. It's not like they were. I don't know this for a fact, but m- most casinos I've ever been around, um, on the IT side, they take security very seriously. So they invested in it. So they were able to be bypassed. You know, if they can be bypassed, a lot of others can be bypassed too. Um, so it's just this persistence with this extortion techniques they're they're very very good at what they do it's probably you know it's one of the hardest things to pr- protect against you have to, it's really because you have to train people in your organization find the right people to train so that's very concerning how, how do we fix that how do we prevent against that type of attack and try to predict what they're going to do next you know I, I now i know what happened at mgm i can go to my help desk team and educate them i could go to other people but what what's the next one i, I don't know what they're going to try next so that's always that's a concern right now. And then the other thing that's been interesting has been some of the DDoS attacks that have surfaced. I think there there there's been some new techniques that have come out, um, like resource attacks that have brought down some you know, buffer companies. That's what we uh, that's what I would be concerned about. Um, that are kind of bypassing the typical protection layer company.
1: and the the, the prevention uh, layer, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, and they're, they're you know for a long time DDoS was a very minor nuisance, I would say. You know, that you, we had WAFs and we had CDNs and they were pretty good at preventing that type of thing. And now it's, I don't know if it's because of new technology or whatever new tech- techniques that are, are causing that to also, uh, you know, impact resources. But it's another type of extortion attack, right? That's what these guys are doing is, uh, I'm I'm taking down your resources. You If you, you pay me X amount of crypt coin, uh, crypto- cryptocurrency and I'm going to stop. Um, or I've stolen all your data, I'm gonna post it somewhere unless you pay me. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you know that or or if you've taken down your servers, i'm gonna I'll turn them back on again if you pay me. So they're they're all variations of an extortion attack. So that, that's um, you know that, that's something I'm thinking about. And then for the future, what
0: would what I would be concerned about, probably this episode is brought to you by Aphenia, a community where two thousand CISOs and other senior executives network, learn, and succeed together. To apply for your complimentary membership, please visit www.afinia.com or click the link in the show notes. Now, back to the show.
2: In kind of two separate ways. One, the first way is what can AI do to make those attacks easier? So the first thing I immediately think about, which I think we're already seeing a little bit now, is using AI for impersonation for either... Deep fakes. Face- Deep fakes, right. You know, we're seeing like the CEO calling their CFO and saying, hey, I need to transfer this money Um, or, or, you know, variations of that, more complex versions of that, more, um, you know, longer term versions of that that could actually be successful and, and take a lot of money so that, you know, that's you know. There's other aspects about AI too. Can it be used to help with DDoS attack? Can it be well, used to with...
1: for, for one? I, I see that the grammar and the spelling and the phishing emails has improved dramatically. That's what they said. Mean.
2: Yeah, yeah, as what they said. So that's,
1: yeah, if that's it's pop, no longer that's dear dear sir, or madam, please. Yeah, I, I think we don't really know.
2: The impact of this yet, right? We're just, just like in AI in general, this is very early stages, hmm. and we're we don't really know what the impact's going to be. So that's a concern. But the other aspect of AI, too is, especially I'm looking at it from a software company's perspective,
0: everybody's interested in
2: AI. Everybody's talking about it. All the developers want to use AI. everybody's thinking about it. So all the investors are interested in. it so how do we do AI smartly and safely? And you know, some of these companies that are popping up that are offering AI services, are we sure they're secure? Is there going to be a third-party breach there? How are they protecting data? How is that being used? Uh, how, is it okay for people to use open AI? Uh You know, if I'm sending my like, data there, is that safe? So those are all challenges that you know we're thinking about. We're trying to put protections in place against. But you know, I. I I could see in the near future, you know, a breach of one of these companies, or or, or an understanding that companies was, was using it improperly, or you know that type of thing. So that, that's another aspect of AI that would concern me in the future.
1: For sure. Well, it's very, I think the use case is so compelling. And this co-pilot. if you have like a this guru sitting on your shoulder, just helping you write code uh, right. in real time, I, I think it's so compelling. And I think we'll see a lot more of that. And not just for i mean technology i i hear like a lo- for lawyers instead of paying people to do research it's here we go it's right there already collated and 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 ranked so it, it, as, as the use cases are extremely compelling but but uh as far as i mean humans they they can use fire to cook food or to burn down a village <laughs> so it's a, everything can yeah. be used it's like a double-edged sword so and I think it's just, it will be evolving really fast. I already I'm hearing uh, like rumors of uh, like one of the use cases, obviously companies using uh, private data sets and training uh, LLMs on private data sets. And we're, we're hearing about attacks poisoning the data sets so that, that the resulting AI will give kind of subverted answers. Uh, there, there are all sorts of exploits already being talked about. Uh, it's It's, it's certainly fascinating. I mean, it's part of the reason like why it's so fascinating. It's ever changing and revolving. It's always kind of good guys and bad guys uh, uh, battling it out. But I I just want to kind of pull the thread in the very first one you said. So from what I heard with MGM, it was a help desk, but it was an IT provider to the casino. Right. So and so kind of to double click on that. Do you think the concern is social engineering as a as an angle, or is it third party? uh dealing with third party security and what kind of organizations have access to your environment or maybe like what what's what's the bigger concern in your in your view
0: yeah. well
2: yeah i i don't think it was just the nature that it was a third party that did this um and i couldn't speak to that i, I don't know the third party and I, you know i'm not going to make a comment on that but i you know i think it's just the social engineering itself it could it could happen to anybody. <laughs> um, yeah. it, 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 these guys are good at what they do. They're very persistent. It's, I think the issue is like, we share too much information. We put our stuff on LinkedIn and every, you know, all the executives do that. Like I personally don't put any other company on LinkedIn um, because, you know, it's just another way for them to find out. Um, mm-hmm. So it's that that's more of the problem than it was a third party. I, I personally prefer to in house, my IT and security support. Um, I think it's a better value. If you, if you're, a CISO or a CIO with you know 20 30 years of experience you've built a network over time and you can staff and build a team you can build a team of leaders and you can get those leaders to bring people in um and and you can kind of build your own in-house team I actually I think it ends up being cheaper more efficient better performance performance over time um but you know I that's just how I like to do things and I, right. I think you could maybe pivot more so if there was a reach because of a social engineering you could probably train them a little faster and you get a little more responsiveness um but yeah i, I don't yeah, I, I i can't see how it was because of the third party i think it's just
1: unfortunate well, but you, well you said that the, the the casino companies they invest so much in cybersecurity. i would yeah. imagine they if it's internal they you have a little bit more control and over yeah, people yeah. over training over things like I, that i
2: think i think so but yeah there's also an economy of scale like if, if you're in a particular industry that it's going to be tough to hire your own team or they have to be located in a certain area like let's take the casino right if if it's located in las vegas and you want the people to be in las vegas and you can't really you know if, you're, if it's an employee that's part of your policy or you know and, and you have a problem standing that up and it's you know 24 hours uh, right in a casino and you want to have overseas so and you, you don't have office overseas so there, yeah there's many reasons why you would outsource. Sure. i i don't
1: you know yeah well i happen to know I'm why sure. i'm sure there's a lot of eyes on this and trying to figure things out yeah, and, sure, and, yeah. and post-mortem yeah. and how to how to kind of lock it down but again it's just it's fascinating the the impact versus the to your point it, it may not have been i mean they're clearly good at what they're doing but cool. yet, it was not a, in terms of investment. It, it was not a heavy lift, but the impact was just profound and on the organization. It's it's scary. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, again, switching gears a little bit. I I know as a CIO and a CISO. Uh, well, every time we bring up the subject of vendors, it's kind of always kind of a, a very visceral reaction follows. Uh, there are so many vendors kind of vying for time for attention, and some of them are overly. Uh, eager, let's put it this way, in in trying to get attention. Um, what are some of the pet peeves you have in dealing with vendors, and and what some of the examples without naming naming names, yeah. protecting the innocent, but also what are some of the um examples of vendors that really impress you when they're really investing in building the relationship, not looking for a transactional aspect of things, providing value without asking for much. What what are quick anecdotes I know we're coming up on time uh, that you can share. Um,
2: I, I actually happen to be wearing one of them today by total accident. And ah, red, red canary, <laughs> total yeah. accident. I, I do I will name them because I really do like red canary. I have no interest in them other than I'm, I'm a customer of them and have been for a while but uh, they do a very good job of um, where people invite me to Hey, go to, I want to invite you to this steak dinner. We're going to have a big steak dinner at the most expensive restaurant in Philadelphia. We're coming through your town. And um, like, I don't care about that. Please don't like, that's not going to make me make a decision to buy your stuff. <laughs> you know, or like, Hey, we're going to go to a golf out or Here's tickets to a football game. Like, first of all, I think it's kind of unethical to do that, but it's also like, that's not going to make me make a million dollar decision for my company. Like you giving me, you know, a $50 stake is not going to make me make a decision. So like when I meet with you, I, I have very little time, you know, like all people in my position do. Uh, I need you to get to the point extraordinarily quickly. Show me the thing. Don't give me the, you know, the, the, pre- the preamble of like how this company was founded. And they were and they were uh, people that worked in unit 8200 in israel i usually say oh yeah like literally i've met about a thousand people who worked in 8200 like that doesn't impress me like show me your tool show me how it can add value tell me how i can get rid of like three other tools if i buy your tool yeah you know, i care about money and time <laughs> get to the point so that there's some vendors that do that really well and some that are still in this kind of old school like we're gonna you know, group, you know uh, wine and dine you and, you know, build a, you know, you build a relationship with me if your tool is great and you have, you put your money where your mouth is and you make me look good to my company. That's what I care about. So, and, and then, you know, when I have to purchase something, I prefer something that, it, you know, sets, it sets up very quickly. I want to get value quickly. I don't want to buy something and let it sit on the shelf. There are a couple of companies that have really impressed me. And I'll name them because I'm going to talk positively about them. <laughs> but, um, you know, Red Canary is one. I think I think they're great. And another one is Wiz. Um, I think that that's another company that has impressed me again by setting you know, they, 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 we signed a contract with them and yeah, you know, it took six hours to set up their tool, which is which is amazing. So uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that impresses me. And I got immediate value from them and you know, they continue to provide value. So that, that's the type of thing that I love
1: awesome so don't waste time fast time to value it needs to work out of the box and it needs to do what what you promised so no no bait and switch there
2: yeah and if i if i can't trust that it does that if you're like a new company or something i need to pilot it or get a very trusted referral from a peer preferably a peer that i know um i you know a lot of companies i've dealt with. they haven't set up their system to do a pilot or a POC. You know, well, you know we can't do that. We, like I get it. It's a. I've been on that that side of the the house too. Like it's it's a pain in the butt to set up any POC. You may not get a signature, but if I can't trust that you can do this, I'm not going to sign the contract. So, um you know, that's those are the things that that I look for. And I, like I said, just don't waste my time. Don't don't set up a you know, a 45 minute first time call and you meet all your directors and your founders and tell me their bios. Like, I really don't care. And I'm not impressed by it. I just like, tell me what it can do. Tell me how it can save me money or time and, you know, make sure uh, it works and preferably if peers in my industry are using it I'd like to know that. That's about
1: it. For sure, for yeah. sure. Bob, this was, uh, thank you for, this was very insightful and uh, I'm sure um uh, Red Canary and, and Wiz, they would be happy to hear that. Um, awesome. Where can people find you? What's the best way to connect?
2: Um, probably you could reach out on LinkedIn and send me a message. I, I uh, that's you know, if you want to send me a, a LinkedIn, note, that's usually the best way to do it. Um, but I, I've gone I've gone dark on the social medias these, these days because <laughs> there's not not a whole lot of value in my
1: opinion, but that's usually uh, LinkedIn
0: is probably the best way to come
1: for sure. Awesome, Bob. Thank you so much for your time. This right. was great. All
0: right, thank you. If you liked this episode, please subscribe to this channel and visit aphenia.com for more information about your complimentary membership or click the link in the show notes.